evening and welcome to Cinema Death Cult. I'm your host, Adam Bolger. And tonight, we are gathered here together to celebrate spooky season with two of two of the best horror movies ever made and maybe two of the most underrated horror movies ever made, um, Phantasm and Halloween 3. Now, both are from famous horror series, series, a series, I don't know. Uh, but Phantasm is, I think it has about six films in it. Halloween has too many to count. And Halloween 3, and Phantasm is a, is a strange series overall. And Halloween 3 is probably, um, I think it's fair to call it the redheaded stepchild of the... Uh, yeah, I was going to say gimpy cousin. <laughs> <laughs> and to, to join me in, in, in exploring these two is returning guest, Jim Kniffel. How are you, Jim? I'm doing just plain super, Adam. How about yourself? I'm terrific. I'm, I'm, and I'm, I'm as, as ever, I'm 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 just tickled, tickled mm-hmm. as punch to be here. That's great. I'm so happy you're back, <clears throat> and you're hot on the heels of our uh, of our last episode on the killing. Yep. Yeah. I was just great. listening to the soundtrack. Oh, nice. So, um, oh, you know what I was going to tell you. So, uh. Uh, let's, let's, so I want to start with Phantasm. Um, okay, if I uh, if I can, what what I was what I was thinking about is is you know I wanted I would have loved to be able to come on here and say, um, you know, as, as different as they are, uh, these two films are actually very very closely uh, uh, related and share a number of um, underlying themes. <clears throat> I can't what do you I mean? can't say that though. <laughs> <laughs> because it's not it's not true they're just two weirdies yeah. that came out 3 3 years apart what i but what i can say is that both of them you yeah. know arrived at a, a kind of transition point in the evolution of uh, of american horror movies yeah. and uh, uh neither of them would have existed or at least been released without uh john carpenter's original halloween and both of them yeah. in the end I think say something really interesting about the nature of uh, uh, major studio franchises. But uh, anyway, that's just yeah. an aside. No, and and I I completely agree. And it's funny how like looking ba- looking back at horror movie franchises in general, they um, they usually get more di- like distilled as they go on. Like they become sure. more. Yeah, like of themselves, like you know, like right. especially like Friday the Thirteenth, you know, like yeah. I mean, they're just especially with you know when you go with, you know post post Halloween, uh, yeah. they're they're really just redundant. They you know they they just give audiences more of what they saw in the last one. Yeah, um, exactly. You know, they just they just repeat themselves, uh, and yeah. that seems to be what people like, which is why these two got into trouble. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Because Phantasm, even though it kind of gets, um, it gets kind of categorized alongside a lot of horror movie franchises. I think right, it's, but it's it, un, but yeah, it's nobody, unlike them. Yeah, it's like everybody was copying either Romero or or you know the original Halloween or you know, but nobody has tried. <laughs> Nobody's tried to copy <laughs> Phantasm. No. I don't think you could, but no. oh yeah, so it's 
this is an unfair question, but I wanted to see. Well, how do you how do you react to it at all? But if you had to describe the plot of Fantastic, how do you go about doing that? Okay. Um. Uh. First of all, um, yeah. in, in swallow some mescaline. Ah. <laughs> uh, it, in in a very in a very uh, ham-fisted nutshell. Um, yeah. You have a you have a fourteen thirteen fourteen year old kid named Mike, who's played yeah. by uh, a Michael Baldwin. He lives with his older brother, Jody, who is played by a musician, uh, Bill Thornbury, and their friend, uh, and they're they're friends with Reggie, played by Reggie Bannister, who yep. drives the ice cream truck. <laughs> um, and while attending the funeral of a friend of theirs who had died under mysterious circumstances, um, they, especially Mike, becomes uh, gets the sense that there is something sinister going on at the funeral home, and yeah. uh, uh, especially on the, on the part of the mortician, who uh, is known only as the tall man, uh, played yeah. by Angus Scrimm. Yeah. And uh, it is eventually revealed uh, that uh, the mortician is actually a uh, a malevolent, shape shifting alien yeah. who is in the habit of uh, taking uh, cadavers and sending them through a space time portal, <laughs> which is marked by a giant tuning fork, uh, yeah. back to his own his own planet. In yeah. some alternate universe where the corpses are then reanimated, uh, uh, and due to the um, heavy gravity on that planet, uh, they are crushed to the size of dwarves, uh, yeah. uh, dressed in monks' robes, and um, uh, turned into slave labor. Yeah, uh, and then realizing realizing that uh, that they are onto his. Uh, diabolical scheme. Uh, he then sets out to uh, chase them. But right. along the way, <laughs> along the way, we also have um, uh, a uh, a blind mute fortune teller who communicates yep. with her granddaughter telepathically. We have severed fingers that somehow transform into a hideous giant flying bug. Um, <laughs> We have a lot of uh, yellow blood, and yeah. and the ball, the ball, the silver, yeah, the silver ball that um, <laughs> that, that patrols the endless white corridors of yeah. the funeral home, and uh, and when it finds an intruder, uh, it emits two wicked rotating blades, swoops down upon them, drills out their eyes, and sucks out their brain. Yeah, and I think that's yeah. that's pretty much Phantasm in a nutshell. It is, yes. And it's it's not a movie that goes in a straight line at all. And it's yeah. just sort of like ceaselessly inventive. Like yeah, you kind and of it, and it Oh, go ahead. Oh no, I wanted you to go. Oh, well I was gonna say I think at the at the core of this it's I mean that what you have to realize going in is that it just follows a dream logic. Yeah. Um you know, we go from scene to scene, and, but it's also the kind of film you don't really want to. You know, you, you don't want to try and find 
rational explanations for no. what's up on the screen. You know, you just you just sit back and ex- you you um, suspend disbelief um, to a, a ridiculous degree, and yeah. you just accept that all of these things are happening. Yeah, yeah, and there are things and. Oh, go on. Oh, I was just going to say it's it's interesting that that Coscarelli, when he, Don Coscarelli, the director, made yeah. this. You know, it was it was you know two years before Halloween, so the uh, so the the you know, the, the uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, just the general form that yeah. horror films would take after that was not in place yet, and yeah. it was also two years before Eraserhead. Which follows oh. the same sort of green logic. Yeah, that's, uh, that's very with brighter, interesting. With brighter colors. <laughs> well, yeah, cause the movie. I was going to say before the movie is like ceaselessly inventive, and it's sort of like all this weird stuff gets thrown at you, and you kind of have there's there's a certain point where you kind of feel like you have a toehold on the plot, then all of a sudden this evil silver ball comes out right. of nowhere. Yeah. <laughs> oh, just, like, may, may I offer one quick aside about the ball? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, I don't know if you saw this, but in early August, um, uh, the CIA um, killed an Al Qaeda leader. He was okay. standing on his balcony, and yeah. I only saw this reported in in one newspaper. But it said uh, he was killed with a drone. It was a hundred pound you know, reinforced drone. But as yeah. it swooped down on him, they said six katana-like blades emerged from the drone and oh. drilled out his eyes. <laughs> it's like, oh. are, are they, are these people, is Don Coscarelli getting residuals <laughs> from the CIA? Oh, so the ball is real. That's, yeah. that's really, that's scary. Yeah. It's yep. a real ball. Of yep. all things. <laughs> And um, so I saw I saw Phantasm like when I was in high school I think and I was okay. not a big fan of like all the Friday the Thirteenth no know, kind of... no and that's and that's just that's exactly the point that there were yeah you know people like you and me who were just by that you know were bored to death with yeah just you know these people in silly costumes uh, hacking up hacking up sexually active teenagers in ridiculous ways. Yeah, and this one's just, it's just weird and inventive, and it it's really fun to watch, I think. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Because, um, uh, yeah, there's there's always something going on. <laughs> you, never, you never know uh, what it's going to be. I remember when it first came out, yeah, uh, seventy nine, which is when I saw it in the in the theater. But even before it came out, the TV commercials were terrifying. Really? Um, uh, the the commercial closed with the scene of uh, of Michael in bed, and suddenly all of these, you know, just in a blink, uh, yeah. all these um, dwarves appear from under the bed. And, well, yeah, we can probably. We can probably call him like Jawas, right? We're not going to get sued yeah. if we. Yeah, that, and that was another thing. He's he's been he's uh, Coscarelli's been hounded about that for years. Oh, uh, really? He, uh, yeah, and his argument is always that you know he finished the film before yeah. Star Wars came out, so he had no idea. Yeah. That, 
you know that George that George Lucas was ripping him off. Yeah. Um, and at one point he considered uh, going back and um, making the uh, their their brown hooded robes like making them another color. Yeah. So, uh, so there wouldn't be that comparison, but then he decided, fuck it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm glad he did too. I mean, it's yeah. also it, you know, because George Lucas doesn't own the concept of a dwarf alien of, midget, of, of midgets and monk robes. Yeah, exactly. That's not his exclusive thing. First yeah. of all, and secondly, it is fun that there's a movie with e- with even more evil Jawas. You know, right. Yeah, like they're not they're not like paragons of morality in Star Wars, but here they're really right. bad. Yeah. yeah, and he's like this stuff. Like, yeah, you mentioned like so they're in the funeral home, and that's like a such a weird looking place. Like the interiors of the funeral home. Yeah, like it's just there's something about it that's like it is. You mentioned Eraserhead, and maybe that's why it's popping in my head. There's there is something like David Lynch about it. Like sure. you don't it. Yeah, it's like an ordinary place that also just has this profound sense of unease to it or something. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And that was one of the um that was one of his um impetuses in the first place. Um or Coscarelli's when he sat down to write the script. Um because apparently it came from as he tells it, um he yeah. released uh, kind of this low-budget coming-of-age comedy in 1976 called Kenny and Company. And yeah. he was at a screening. Yeah. And uh, 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 I guess there, there was just one little cheap, harmless scare um, yeah. in the movie, and he noted the audience reaction. And so he decided to make a horror movie next, but he wanted yeah. one, you know, with a with a scare like every five minutes. Um <laughs> But uh, but his two starting points, uh, he said, were just how creepy funeral homes were in general. Huh. Um, and and the other one was a dream he'd had when he was a kid, when he was uh, where he was running down endless white corridors, being chased by uh, a silver flying silver ball equipped with a, a little long needle. <laughs> so and he just took it from there and and, and ran with it. Yeah. Yeah, and you know, this is like you said before. This is not a movie where you really want to interrogate the reality of it, in, in, yeah. really in any way, because it's you know. But just it seems like the center of the town is the 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 funeral home and the graveyard. Yeah, uh, yeah. that's yeah, that's pretty much except for their you know for Mike and Jody's front porch. That's uh, yeah. that's pretty much it, and there are also yeah. no other people living there. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. Too. <laughs> I mean, there are there are a lot of there are a lot of things that the fact that they were working with no money. Um, yeah. this is so often the case that actually improved things. I think the final the final product. So what they do you couldn't mean? afford. Well, um, uh, they well one they they couldn't afford to pay extras, right? Yeah. So. So there were no other people in the movie except for that the fortune teller and her granddaughter, and then the yeah. four principals, and yeah. uh, uh, they couldn't afford um, lighting setups. So most yeah. of the film is filmed in natural light and yeah. outside, and uh, um, 
and you know, and, and even when it, even when they came to the ball, um, yeah. you know, they didn't have the effects team that you know other places had. So yeah. they just had a, a, <laughs> a baseball player friend throw the ball. Um, <laughs> And and if you if you if they wanted it to come swooping around a corner, they yeah. they had a friend put it on a fishing pole, and he okay. just swung the fishing pole. <laughs> and because uh, there's a you know um, uh, Sam Fuller and Roger Corman both um, told young filmmakers that you cannot use you know the fact that you don't have the money as an excuse. He said, you just yeah. you have to use your imagination and your ingenuity to get everything on that, or in that script, up on the screen. Yeah. And uh, he, he, you know, was aces here when it came to doing that. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, like you see that early on, just like with the, um, when the, when the dwarves first appear, and they're sort of like ducking behind tombstones and things. Right. Yeah, and you see like quick flashes of the camera, and uh-huh. it just seems like it just seems like something like you'd see out of the corner of your eye, you know, like right? Just something kind of creepy and moving, but you don't know exactly yeah. what it is. Yeah, because if he had had you a know, big... and immediately you you know your your immediate first thought isn't well, there's one of them, or there's one of those reanimated interdimensional dwarves <laughs> again. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, just like what? There's some creepy. There's something creepy afoot. Yeah. Right. And um. Yeah, and that's another thing. We we never really know what they what they do. They skulk around the graveyard, and they, you know, they drive the vintage hearse. Yeah. I mean, why are they there exactly? I mean, are they making beer runs? You know, what (laughs) what do they have them do? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Like we we know that. Uh, the tall man makes them slaves, but for what purpose? We don't know. Yeah, yeah. Even when we, even when we get the the um, shots of the uh, of the other planet through the space time portal <laughs> and the giant tuning fork, um, they just seem to be kind of marching around on this desert planet. Yeah. <laughs> 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 oh, I love this yeah. movie so much. It's 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 really good, and this yeah. you know I think this. How do you feel about the sequel? How do you feel about the um, oh, franchise well, overall? Oh. Okay, uh, this is another story. Okay. Um, so uh, when Phantasm was released, it was 1979. Uh, yeah. It you know it found uh, it found a, a cult audience. You know, people like you and me. Yeah. And ended up making. Um, eleven and a half million dollars on yeah. like a three hundred thousand dollar budget. Oh, okay. um, yeah. And uh, but then it sat there. Universal, you know, uh, Coscarelli had no interest in making the sequel. Yeah. But Universal, you know, almost ten years later, Universal was watching, you know, uh, the 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 other big horror franchises, you know, Nightmare on Elm Street, uh, Friday the Thirteenth, and Halloween. And then they remembered that um, Phantasm had made a healthy profit. So yeah. they uh, came back to him and, uh, yeah. you know, they said, you write and direct. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we'll handle, we'll give you, a, you know, a top-notch special effects team. Um, 
will provide you with lights um, <laughs> and will distribute it uh, yeah. afterward. And we'll give you $3 million to do it. And uh, so Coscarelli not, he, he was not planning on this, but, you know, $3 million yeah. is $3 million. And so yeah. I sat down and started writing a script. But what yeah. it, uh, but Universal being a being a major corporate studio also had um, some uh, uh, a couple a, a couple rules. Yeah. Um, they wanted no more um, open endings. You know, no more yeah. loose strings. Uh, no more dream sequences. No more. Uh, you know, none of that just giddy weirdness. And yeah. why this happens all the time when people yeah. are doing remakes or or studios want a sequel to something, they they always insist on stripping away everything that made the original what it was. Yeah. Right? So, and their other uh, directive was that apart from Angus Scrim as the tall man, he yeah. they didn't want him to bring back the original cast. Um, oh. And then if he insisted, if Coscarelli yeah. insisted, he said, uh, they they told him, well, you can bring back, well, because Jody was dead, uh, the character Jody was dead by the end of Right, the yeah. So he said, yeah. well, you can either bring back um, Reggie Bannister yeah. or um, Michael Baldwin, but you can't have both. It's like, Weird. what the fuck's that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It's like yeah. So you know, so he hired Reggie, and yeah. uh, and uh, brought in another actor to play Michael. Yeah. And uh, there are, you know, there are a few nice touches, but uh, but it's just um, it's very straightforward compared with the original. Yeah. And yeah. uh, you know, it was released in 1988, ten years after, almost ten years after the original, and uh, and it bombed. And I think it bombed yeah. for, uh, I mean, a couple of reasons. First, you know, the teenage audiences uh, by that point had been so conditioned to see more of the same and see more yeah. of the same in every single movie they went to see yeah. um, that they were ill-equipped to deal with this as straight as it was as straight as phantasm 2 seemed to um you know weirdos like us <laughs> yeah um to the teens of the late 80s you know it it made their heads hurt um, <laughs> yeah so um yeah so it uh, and also i mean it was 10 years after the fact so yeah. nobody remembered it nobody remembered yeah, what the hell phantasm was anymore yeah, it seemed to like but, uh, maybe I'm stretching with this, but there's a lot of like guns in that movie in yeah. Phantasm Two, and there's a lot of sort of like um, there's sort of, there's like an A-team kind of sequence where they're like using a blowtorch and like you know creating like weapons and whatnot. Yeah, and it seems kind of like all of a sudden like an A-team Rambo kind of right. <laughs> 80s yeah. thing to it, which I which I really like. Like, it, it, uh-huh. like I really enjoyed that, you know, as a kid. I haven't, I, right. I, I haven't watched it since, but like stuff like I think Reggie has a, a shotgun with four barrels, right? Yeah, you know, and things like that. I think I really grooved on. But I, but you're right. Like the 
the the the dreaminess of the first one is not there. Right. Yeah. You know, and and so you know, of course, uh, um, Universal just dropped the idea franchise right there. But yeah. um But they uh, but they also told Costarelli that if he wanted to make a third one, you know, he'd have to finance it himself. Um, but they would distribute it. Yeah. Um, and I mean, he wasn't doing a whole lot. Costarelli hasn't really done a whole big bunch of stuff outside of Phantasm. Um, well, come on, that's that that's really disrespectful to Beastmaster. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, he, got, he got ripped torn in the Beastmaster, which was the only reason I, I ever sat through it. I've never seen it. It just looked, it, it looked it's so terrible. Yeah, that's what I figured. Yeah, uh, the only so, I think I got the maximum amount of enjoyment without ever seeing it. Because when I was in high school, we walked by the marquee, and my friend said, "Hey, look, there's a movie called The Breastmaster." <laughs> that's well, that's more of a chuckle than you'd get out of the movie. Yeah, yeah. But also, but in all sincerity, Bubba Hotep, that's a good movie. I mean, Bubba Hotep is fantastic. And, yeah. Uh, and John Dies at the End is fantastic. Oh, that and, was good. Uh, oh, my that. God. That, and that one, that one, likewise, there's a lot of phantasm. In John okay. Dies at the end, so so there's a lot of a lot of shifting realities and and what have you. Oh great! So, I'll well, go check that out. Yeah, well worth it. Yeah. Um, but uh, <laughs> there's uh, a uh, yeah, like the first Phantasm. Just to get back to that, like yeah, it feels like they they're very inventive and they wanted to use everything they had. So it has one right. of my favorite scenes ever in a horror movie, where Reggie is driving up. In the uh, ice cream cart, ice cream truck, and, just, uh-huh. and uh, uh, the other guy—I forget the other guy's name—but he—he's of oh, Jody, right? Jody, yeah. Jody's like play, playing guitar. Play guitar, and they and they just start jamming, <laughs> and it goes on forever. <laughs> it's, it's it's not bad. It's like a little kind of catchy light rock song, and they're both yeah. very proficient, and yeah, just out of uh-huh. nowhere. And, yeah. <laughs> I mean that scene is actually a favorite amongst uh, for a lot of people. Um, yeah, for good reason. I love the I fact that that that, uh, that uh, Reggie just whips this guitar <laughs> whips this <laughs> out of nowhere. Yeah, you know it's yeah it's very funny too because he's like, hey, what do you play? He's like, oh no, just a little thing I'm working on. And then clearly it is the most rehearsed, written song. Yeah. Those guys have played together, but it, it's it's so much like an old like um like western where it's like hey cowboy Dean Martin we're around the campfire sing us a song right. kind of thing yeah <laughs> exactly <laughs> it's so good but the oh the other thing is this the soundtrack to the movie beyond that you know little light rock jam thing uh-huh. it's terrific. Uh- I have been trying to track down that fucking soundtrack for it. Because <laughs> uh, it's, I mean, because it was available. Um, oh, yeah. But, uh, and it was, I mean, it came out on vinyl right around the same time that it was later yeah. released on CD. But it's now out of print. And I'm, you know, love it as I do. I'm not going to pay a hundred fucking dollars for the Phantasm <laughs> soundtrack. 
Does it sound to also, you at all? I've like... also been trying to track down the Halloween three soundtrack, which is another. Oh yeah, that's really good. But let's yeah. let's table that for just what a couple yeah. more. Yeah. Oh, of course, yeah. of course, because uh, yeah, there's yeah. much more to talk about. <laughs> do you think that the that the main theme from Phantasm? Do you know Tubular Bells by Michael Oldfield? Oh, of course I do. Yeah. Do you think that they sound pretty similar? I think. Yeah, they're they're. Uh, there, there were a few different. There are a few different things that uh, that work their way into Phantom, but that's definitely one of them. Yeah, um, yeah. But that was, of course, the Exorcist theme. Oh yeah. Oh, that was the Exorcist theme. Is Tubular Bells? Yep. Oh, I didn't know that. I knew it was yep, just a spooky least. song. <laughs> I didn't. Yeah. So yeah, that was uh, <laughs> the yeah just the first part of Tubular Bells was. Uh, oh yeah. The Exorcist. Oh wow. Okay, that's so. That's why it might he might have wanted to have it sound like that in the soundtrack of his horror movie. But was, so, is Phantasm uh, Coscarelli's second movie? It was his third. Okay. Um, and what's interesting is that, with the exception of Bill Thornberry, everybody else in the movie had been in his first two. Yeah. Um, the first one was called uh, uh, Jim, the World's Greatest, and uh, and that was kind of a uh, they're the first two that and Kenny and Company. It was seventy five, okay. seventy six. The first one is this kind of uh, uh, it's a it's a you know a serious drama about yeah. uh, about a high school student trying to protect his seven year old brother from their alcoholic abusive father, who's played hmm. by Angus Grimm. Hmm. And then and then the second one was just this kind of lighthearted coming of age story about eleven year an eleven year old uh and the various little adventures he gets into with his uh, schoolyard chums. Oh, okay. Um yeah. Yeah. And so this one was a this is I don't think he was a guy that his great ambition was to make like a horror movie, right? Yeah. No, no, that's uh, you know, it's kind of like uh and I know others have made this comparison. It's kind of like George Romero, right? So he made he made these little, uh, uh, you know, no budget, uh, you know, uh, features, yeah, um, and then and then kind of accidentally made Night of the Living Dead, yeah, um, and also like and also like Romero, uh, try as they might, um, neither he nor Coscarelli, after getting after you know, making these big cult hits, neither. Oh, one of them was really the try as they might. They were never able to get away from them. They yeah. kept uh, they kept getting sucked back in. Except uh, with the ex- with you know, unlike Romero, in Coscarelli's case, the films actually got better. Or <laughs> you know, because he had this whole this whole insane hermetic dream universe that yeah. he was building, and it just it just expanded. You know, yeah. discounting part two, um, the the remaining three just get just get wilder. Um, yeah, you know, a lot a lot of jumping back and forth between universes and dimensions. And, um, but uh, what another interesting thing about what he ended up doing was okay. Yeah. So two came out in 1988. Uh, part three, uh, called uh, Lord of the Dead, came out six years later. Yeah. Um, then four years later, um, uh, in uh, uh, what year are we up to now? 
eighty. Uh, I'd say uh, it was ninety four, then ninety eight. Okay. Um, but then after that, there's almost twenty years, right? <laughs> until yeah, um, it's eighteen years, and then he makes the final one. Um, yeah, fine. And uh, what's interesting is he kept the same cast through yeah. all the films. You know, essentially over forty years. Yeah. And so at the it's end, almost like the up, the up movies. Exactly. I was gonna I was gonna make that <laughs> gonna make that comparison because I can't think of other than you know those. Uh, yeah. I can't think of any other film that has done this. So at the end, um, Angus Grimm was in his nineties. Yeah. Um, uh, Reggie Bannister and, and Bill Thornberry, they were in their 70s, and uh, Michael was in his 50s. And the story involves um, uh, Mike taking care of Reggie, who has Alzheimer's. Oh, and okay. so, you know, he keeps drifting in and out of consciousness, so it's, it's between dreams and a dreamlike reality. Um, and it's really good. Oh, i got to see it. I haven't seen that yeah. one. I've seen the first Three for sure. I love that. Okay. Reggie, Reggie just has, he just has such a great look. Yeah. You know, like he like he there's he he looks almost like um like what's that uh Ron Howard's brother, the uh oh man why am I blanking on this? Oh right, never mind. But anyway no he okay. just like just like his um. His his bald hair tied back into a ponytail, and you know, right. try to you know, try to hold on to being a rocking guy, like you know. <laughs> <laughs> and I think it's part of why in the second one, when he starts like blasting dwarves with a big shotgun, it's pretty gratifying because he seems yeah. like he seems to have a little bit of a stink of loser on him in the right. Yeah, up until then, uh, and, but also he's I forgot how kind of little he's, he is in the first one, even though he becomes yeah. the central character. Yeah, that's wild. Right. Yeah, he and Angus Grimm are the only two that were in all five films. Yeah. And I'll bet if uh, Coscarelli could got a redo, he probably wouldn't have killed off the other guy in the first one. Right. Well, I mean, but he does come back. He does. In various forms. Yeah, in, oh, okay. uh, in the, yeah, the, last, the last three. Uh, he okay. comes back though. Oftentimes, it's just in the in the form of a sentient uh, flying silver ball. <laughs> yeah, and they were also so. bringing more balls in the right. Oh, absolutely! Yeah. And you know, by the fifth one, the sky is just full of them. <laughs> um, I remember in nineteen. This had to have been, I think, right before part three came out. This had yeah. to have been like ninety three. Uh, I went to. Uh, the Fangoria convention in New York, okay. if you remember that. It was kind of like... Sure. It was like a cousin to Chiller. Uh, yeah. And I went because uh, Angus Grimm was there, and he was going to be uh, showing scenes from the forthcoming Fantastic yeah. Three. And it was really sad. <laughs> you know, you, <laughs> you go to these things, you, you, you know, the, the, these uh, people from these films, you love stand up and make presentations and give little talks, and then it comes time to uh, questions from the audience. <laughs> one, oh, of the most, yeah. one of the most loathsome inventions of uh, <laughs> human civilization, questions from the audience. Yeah. And everybody just wanted the same thing. They just wanted him to say, boy. 
And so he stood up there and said, boy, about 12 times. <laughs> oh, he's a good sport. Don't you have anything real to ask him? <laughs> Go on, yeah. say your uh, tagline. Yeah. R.I.P., by the way. I just found out that... Uh, oh, yeah, died. yeah, I just died uh, a year ago. So. Yeah, very recent. More, It's instead on his Wikipedia bio that he had at some point been a journalist. Do you know anything about oh, that? Oh no, that's the other. Yeah, he was a he was a journalist and he wrote, you know, his real. I mean, he ended up being in a bunch of movies, usually playing sinister uh, morticians uh, yeah. or mad scientists. But uh, yeah, um, and he had a long stage career. But his real source of income was yeah. writing liner notes for movies, or not really? movies, liner notes for records. So he wrote jazz really? and classical. He wrote liner notes for the Beatles. Um, and he even, I don't know what it was for specifically, but he won a Grammy for his liner notes. No way. Yep. Th- that is yep. crazy. And and... Wow. I, mean, I, gotta... I think he... Oh, go ahead. Oh, no. I was going to say, I wish I... I... Do you know you don't know any like examples like if you're gonna people are gonna look him up, do you? I I don't know it, and he was all and he I'm sure they would probably be under his real name, um, which is Lawrence Rory Guy. Oh, and he, he started, Yeah, he started to he started uh, he he adopted Angus Scrim as a stage name. As yeah. a way of, because uh, he was acting in, uh, you know, a student theater in college, and he yeah. wasn't allowed to go uh, and you know do theater elsewhere. So yeah. if he did, uh, he adopted that name just in case there were any, you know, newspaper reviews. Right. So they wouldn't recognize yeah. his name. And also, I'd imagine if you're like, you know, trying to discern some Ornette Coleman album, and you know, you're reading right. through the liner notes, you don't want. You don't want to think of the specter of the tall man from Phantasm. <laughs> exactly. This yeah. is a very good album. <laughs> I, I <enjoy laughs> Experimental jazz. You know, <laughs> I cannot get enough of it. <laughs> you don't want to read it in his voice. <laughs> yeah. um, but uh, what was I going to say? Oh, if I can back up a bit to the to the, yeah, sure. the idea of the ongoing sequels because um when universal uh dropped him after phantasm 2 it really was the best thing that could have happened to him i think just in terms of the phantasm films because yeah. then uh, he was able to go just hog wild after yeah. that and he would <laughs> and he could uh, bring back his own bring back his old cast yeah yeah that's great um yeah, I, I love the Phantasm movies. I got a, I rewatched, like I said, I rewatched the first one. The yeah, other day. and the first one I, is still, the first one is still tops. Yeah, yeah. And speaking of movies the, where the first one is still tops, but <laughs> maybe has other things, uh, maybe, maybe other ones have things to say for them. Let's move on to the Halloween franchise. <laughs> That was a very good transition, Adam. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, I pulled that one out of somewhere. But uh, the uh, yeah, so the first obviously the first Halloween movie. It's kind of a perfect movie. Like it's really yeah. tight. 
every scene is there again and saying there is no denying that it's a great great film yeah yeah and so it makes every other slasher movie look stupid like when you watch right as you know as most of as most of them are it's it always struck me that this you know uh, in kind of like uh you know in its own way kind of like a racer head and that it's a very pure it's a very pure film you know yeah but then you get to the second one well, and that's a story too. Um, yeah, because yeah, originally John Carpenter and Deborah Hill, their idea was to create um, an anthology franchise, right? Yeah, and this is where Halloween Three gets into trouble because they wanted the the idea was that they would release um, a new film every year uh, around yeah. Halloween, and the, the they would be completely unrelated to all the other films you know that came before or after it they would be completely independent but they would still be part of the halloween franchise and yeah. their argument and, and it was a good one was that uh you know any one of those films could become a franchise in and of itself right yeah. so you could end up with you could end up with you know halloween four part three uh, <laughs> and an unrelated halloween five following that right yeah so, um, but then Halloween came out, and everyone realized immediately that it was going to make a million kajillion dollars. And yeah. so, about ten minutes after it opened, um, the studio rushed Halloween two into production, yeah. which you know was just it was just a low rent cookie cutter, you know, uh, uh, redundant. Yeah, you know, standard. It was a standard. Um, American sequel, but yeah. uh, and Carpenter didn't want anything to do with it. But he and Deborah Hill wrote the script, um, in uh, in a way, in an effort to, to try and reclaim the anthology idea. Yeah. Um, they wrote a script in which they very decisively killed off um, Michael Myers and yeah. um, uh, Doctor Loomis. You know, by yeah. the end of the film, they and were thinking because Michael, because Carpenter never wanted to make another. You know, he was done with Michael Myers after the first film. He, you know, that was all he wanted to do yeah. with him, and uh, yeah. so he killed them off. Uh, and then they drove on ahead to reclaim the anthology idea with Halloween Three, Season yeah. of the Witch. Yeah, um, and it's. But the thing with Halloween 3 and about like an anthology, it's like the first Halloween movie is so simple and it's so right. clean in its execution. And then Halloween 3 is completely not that, right? Right. Of course, you have a whole different, you have a whole different team uh, yeah. working on that. I mean, yeah. well, actually, there was a lot of the same people. But, yeah. uh, but just as far as the screenplay and the, um, the director go. Um, yeah. So it's speaking... Yeah. Yeah, I want to talk about the screenplay because the yeah. writer has an interesting pedigree, right? Oh my God, the great Nigel Neal. They brought in Nigel right. Neal, who's a yeah. you know British screenwriter known for um, extremely intelligent science fiction. Yeah. Um, so he did the Quatermass films, if you if you know those. Um, I know what uh, they are. I haven't seen them. Okay. Oh, you have to see them. Um, <laughs> and 
um, something called the Abominable Snowman, which is much, much, much better and smarter than it sounds. Yeah. And uh, at the time, he was in, he was living in Los Angeles at the time, you know, early 80s, because yeah. he was writing the screenplay for John Landis' planned remake of uh, Creature from the Black Lagoon. Oh. Um, but then Universal killed the project because they wanted to take all that money and throw it into <clears throat> Jaws 3D, uh, which, you know, of course, this is another very wise uh, <laughs> business move on their part. Because uh, we're, all, yeah, we're all still business. talking about Jaws 3D <laughs> today. Yeah. It's etched into our memory. Yeah. Oh, but uh, so they brought in. Yeah, so they brought in Nigel Neal, who's like the, the best guy in the world to do this. And yeah. their directive, you know, the the big concept for Halloween 3 was going to be witchcraft meets the computer age. Nice. Um, and so he took that and ran with it. Uh, yeah. And then they also had, uh, they had also brought in Joe Dante to direct. Yeah. Um which is Who, of course, uh, which is another the great Gremlins, Gremlins director, yeah. uh, the Burbs, um, I think the, the Howling, Howling, right? The Howling, yeah. uh, Piranha. Yeah, I mean he's another one from the Corman school. Yeah, so, yeah, he's great. Um, but he, he, yeah, he eventually left. I think he left to uh, work on uh, a Twilight Zone movie, um, and so they brought in. Um, a movie that would have disastrous disastrous consequences uh, oh, involving God, yeah. John Landis, yeah. yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, if only they'd if only they'd let him done that creature from the Black Lagoon. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> Vic Morrow would still be alive. Maybe who knows? Yeah, that's a good point. But, and also, yeah. uh, that, uh, what's that? Um, the movie that won the Oscar a couple of years ago that was like basically Creature from the Black Lagoon. Uh, it's like some lady falls in love with a fish man. Uh, how was he? Oh, fuck. I, it was like four, I, like four I years ago. Know. Really? It was like I, a I best stopped. picture. Oh, man. Adam, I stopped playing, paying attention to the Oscars in like 1978. <laughs> <laughs> well, the only reason it sticks in my head because it, it was not very good. First of all, uh-huh. and I was amazed it won anything. And yeah. and watching it, I was like, "This is what's ne- why we're never going to have a new creature from the Black Lagoon." Is this right. dumb bullshit? <laughs> yeah. Well, anyway, that and Jaws 3D. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, um, anyway, back to the back to the script. They brought in uh, Tommy Lee Wallace. To direct, and yeah. he'd been part of the Carpenter Circle for a long time, you know, in yeah. various capacities. He was art director, yeah. production designer, editor. He even played Michael Myers in one scene in Halloween. Oh, um, wow. Yeah. Uh, he was in the fog. Um, and uh, so, you know, this was going to be his his uh, directorial debut. Yeah. So, Nigel Neal turns in his script. Uh, John Carpenter gives it a little polish. And then uh, uh, Tommy Lee Wallace gave it a polish too, but he interest, he introduced um, two very interesting things. But uh, before I get to those, 
Neil was so pissed (laughs) about this and the fact that he thought they'd oversimplified it and added too much gore that he had his name taken off uh, the picture. But still, it's probably about 60% of of what's on the screen is from uh, Neil's script. Anyway, uh, Tommy Lee Wallace introduced two elements. Uh, One are uh, repeated references to uh, Don Siegel's uh, uh, Invasion of the Body Snatchers, which uh, Wallace considered a very seminal film for him. So from the first scene to the last scene to the fact that it takes place in the same town that Invasion of the Body Snatchers took place in. Uh, with, and he used a lot of the same locations. So that's kind of a running subtext. Yeah. But the other thing was the Silver Shamrock commercial, which uh, oh. uh, which plays, I think, 16, 14, 16 times over the course of the film. Yeah. The, the most deliberately grating commercial <laughs> jingle ever. Uh, yeah. It's and so guaranteed good. Guaranteed to get stuck in your head, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, and the last, the not, I mean, I, spoilers, I guess. But the last scene is the guy like, is the uh, guy yelling, "Make it stop!" while the song incessantly plays. Right, and well, I mean, well, I guess at some point we'll get around, we'll get to the ending because the yeah, ending yeah, is yeah. The ending is another story. Yeah. Um. So but, yeah, so that's but it's a first-time director, but a guy who's who's ve- uh, very much in like the John Carpenter mold, you know, and has yeah. a lot of influence from John Carpenter. And right. so it it's a really like it's such an interesting movie in terms of in, in a lot of fronts, but like things like the little secondary characters that come in that yeah. are so goofball, but they're so like vivid. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, like the like the family in the in the camper uh, yeah, pulls absolutely. up uh, pulls up to the hotel, um, and, uh, uh, and of course the great Dan O'Hurley as that uh, as that sinister Connell Cochran. So right. maybe, I don't know for people who have or who haven't seen it. I guess we should again try and sum up. Yeah. <laughs> What, yeah. what what's going on what's going on here just in a, yeah. in a quick nutshell as, as as far as possible um so uh, a man again from you know, lift from uh, body snatchers you know a man yeah. ends up in the in a hospital clutching a uh, jack o lantern mask yeah. and raving that they're going to kill us all yeah um uh he's alone in his room and uh, and a very hulking well-dressed man walks into the hospital, walks into his room, and uh, uh, crushes his skull in his bare hands. Goes yeah. back out to the goes back out to the parking lot, gets in his car, and blows himself up. And uh, Tom Atkins, who plays who played the you know the raving man's doctor, Chalice, I think yeah. his name was. Um, That's right. You know, obviously, you know, interested in you know this curious turn of events. Uh, yeah. Decides to investigate, so he teams up with the 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 fellow who was killed. Turns out to be uh, run a little toy and novelty shop. So yeah. uh, Tom Atkins he teams up with the man's daughter, and they start investigating. And that takes them to the little town of Santa Mara, which is you know run by um, 
Shamrock, the world's largest uh, <laughs> uh, uh, producer of Halloween masks. Um, yeah. But it's you know it's clear there's a, it's a weird little town because there's security cameras everywhere and loudspeakers and a six o'clock curfew. So it's it's yeah. clear from the beginning that something really weird is going on. Yeah. And uh, and uh, something weird. Uh, I don't know how much I should get into uh, the well, ultimate. I think, right. Well, you know, and throughout but, it, you see like these the commercials they're playing on TV. It's like a countdown right. to Halloween, and it's like there's right. going to be, I think, a giveaway or something. Like, yes, be sure and tune in for the big giveaway. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, which is uh, which is pretty wild. <laughs> yeah. Um, and those commercials themselves, I mean, they were. Uh, I mean, song aside, just visually, they were designed to be seen in a darkened theater on a big screen. So if yeah. you don't get the, uh, if you if you're watching it, you know, on a TV in a well-lit room, you aren't going to get the thin effect. But those things will really, really mess with your head. <laughs> um, well, they're, not they're necessarily... very. Oh, go on. Oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, which is not necessarily a bad thing. Right. Yeah. Because it's funny because they. They work really well because they're so yeah. minimal. Yeah. yeah. You know, like the, you know, like the jack-o'-lantern, and it's just like the minimum amount of, um, I don't know, because it's like a, a digital image, like the minimal amount of, like, lines you could use to get to have right. a jack-o'-lantern. And so right. I think that kind of makes it, it makes it seem, like, eerie and also pulls it out of time, I think, because it's right. not like, you know, you're not, like, watching a, an image that was supposed to be high tech in 1982. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, it's still very effective. And the song and the masks that they wear are actually pretty terrific. Those masks are great. And they, they, yeah. you know, they actually started selling them around the time. Yeah. Um, in novelty stores and what have you. That's cool. Yeah. It's, it's funny yeah. that like, that was one of my takeaways from the movie, which is so so like surface level, pretty stupid. I'm like, wow, cool masks. Uh-huh. <laughs> the, the but, tools but, they... you know, but look at what they can do. Yeah, yeah. So the masks are so the plan. The evil plan that they have is that they're distributing these masks, and then all these kids are going to wear the masks and watch TV at a certain point, and they've stolen a, a rock from Stonehenge. Right, and, and so, uh, yeah, and then little chips of that are are, are put into these um, little badges, you know, these official yeah. product uh, badges, which apparently are also equipped with small um, lasers. Yeah. So, um, now, <laughs> how exactly a chip from Stonehenge, a little laser... And a TV signal could make people's heads erupt into snakes and bugs. Um, I'm not sure, but again, yeah. it's another one of those things where you just you just you know, suspend disbelief. It makes life much easier. Right. Yeah, there are a couple of questions. Yeah, the how of it doesn't, you know, is a little is very elusive, and the why of it, like why they're doing and the why it. of it too. I mean, yeah. because we get we get this. Um, actually, a wonderful speech or monologue yeah, from uh, Connell Cochran, yeah. um, which is, um, you know, where he, he's talking about 
um, well, essentially he's trying to celebrate. You know, he's he's a druid, modern day druid, who yeah. wants to sell celebrate. You know, Halloween or Samhain uh, yeah. in the old old fashioned way. Um, and yeah. I know I'm mispronouncing Samhain, but I cannot pronounce Celtic. <laughs> yeah. um, but uh, um, you know, wonderful speech. But um, yeah, where he dips uh, into his the, for, that's the I think that's the only time when he speaks in an Irish accent. Right. He, his big revelation about what he's trying to do. Right. No, it's yeah. and it's interesting. This just occurred to me yesterday. That it's interesting that um, you know the the uh, Colonel Cochran is trying to you know reclaim Halloween as it used to be, and at the same yeah. time John Carpenter, Deborah Hill were trying to reclaim Halloween for what <laughs> it was supposed to be. Yeah, yeah, that's in, that is interesting. Yeah. So his his speech, which sort of it sort of over explains what's going on, but also doesn't really explain it that much. Because he's kind yeah. of like, well, yeah, he's like, well, why are we doing it? It's sort of like, here's three reasons why, and, you know, whatever, who cares? Yeah, it's just, it's just you know, well, I'm the old-fashioned sort. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's like, so we're the, you know, killing millions of children around the world. Uh, I mean, is this supposed to be a sacrifice to something, or is this just how you yeah. get your kicks? Right, yeah. Right. It's a sacrifice to something. And you'd think, yeah. you know, it could be like, yeah, oh yeah, we're trying to wake up Cthulhu or something, you know. Right. Yeah, we never get into that. No. No, it's a sacrifice, but for what what purpose we don't know. Yeah. But it's also like fine, that's cool. I don't need to know that. Yeah, exactly. We'll we'll just accept <laughs> that. We'll just accept yeah. that along the way as well. Yeah. <laughs> also we never know why he's making uh killer Irish robots. Right. You know, they just yeah. suddenly they're a killer Irish. Where, what the fuck's that? Where where did they come from? <laughs> Why are you making killer Irish robots? You could just get Irish killers. They're a dime a dozen. Go to any bar in New York. Yeah. At the at the end, you know, he's making, he, he can whip up, you know, replicants, uh, again, a body snatchers thing of real, yeah. you know, real people. Just turn them into uh, uh, replicants. Yeah. It's almost sort of like the ball in Phantasm because right, yeah, you have this whole thing like you know he's an alien and blah 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 and you know that's what he's using the corpses for, but also there's a ball that kills people. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you, you don't know you know who made the ball. Yeah, who conceived of of the ball. I mean, you learn a yeah. bit more about them. Um, yeah. as the as the series goes on, but as far as that first one goes, it's like okay, uh, yeah. there's a ball equipped with rotating knives and it. You know, suck your brain out. Right, right. And so, in yeah, in uh, yeah, Halloween three, so you have this whole thing with Stonehenge and the masks and um, druids, and then, but also there's robots. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, so you you know you just accept it. It's uh, yeah. Um, and uh, I mean, there are so many nice, you know, very subtle touches. Like if you if you watch it. Uh, there are TVs or computer screens. There are screens of some kind in virtually every scene of the movie. Oh. Um, that is a, yeah. So, kind of, you know, you know, I mean, even learning about the about Stonehenge uh, toward yeah. the beginning yeah. of the film, it's just it's just thrown away. It's background noise. You know, yeah. this news report yeah. is playing while these other people are having a conversation, 
and you just hear the news reporter announce that you know one of the standing stones of Stonehenge had had been stolen, and yeah. we get on yeah. you know, and here's the weather. Yeah, um, yeah. And you don't, you know, we don't, you know, again, we don't know how they stole it or you know exactly why they stole that one or right, how they got right. it back to the states. Right. He says something like, "Oh, it was quite. It was. We we went through a lot of trouble to get it over here, and then he like, oh yeah, and that's it. <laughs> that's all he says. You know, it's like okay, cool." And yeah. It seems like if you're just using little bits of it, you could have left it there, just you know, scrape out. <laughs> <Just, it. laughs> yeah, just send some guy over with a, you know every couple of nights with a chisel. Yeah, exactly. Like nobody, a, like, nobody would have known. Yeah, exactly. It's like a Shawshank Redemption. Like you know, that's how you oh. get out the stones. You know? Right. Put, put it, put it in Tim Robbins' pants and let him walk around the, the prison yard. This movie, it, it's it. It also like the first the first Halloween is all about like uh you know young teenage girls and they're right. nice and they're ver- you know they're all victims and they you know like Jamie Lee Curtis's characters kind of like you know morally good and all this stuff and then Halloween three the main character is this drunk divorced doctor who's a strange yeah, who, uh, kid you know, who. Who's trying? Yeah, trying to doesn't want to doesn't want to take care of uh, of his kids. And, yeah, yeah, he's kind of a jackass. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, but, you know, but I, still, you know, for for those for the six or seven of us who were bored to death about halfway through Halloween two, he was still a blessing. Oh, absolutely. But it's, yeah. so much, it's very interesting categorization, like characterization, not categorization. Right. But, but also, even like the girl who's more of a stock character, the the, right. the toy the toy shop owner's daughter, but even right. she's kind of yeah Ellie, and um, I just read a newspaper article where she was interviewed about the movie. I guess that she lives in um, the Berkshires in Massachusetts, okay. and uh, now she she's not an actor anymore. She's like a a therapist or something. Well, but, she wasn't much of an actor then either, but yeah, I didn't say that. Point. <laughs> I, 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 I didn't say that. That was mean. <laughs> I think I think she's okay, but I, I think she's yeah. okay as an actor. Yeah, she's good enough. You know, not, there's no point in the movie where I think she's bad. But I always think it's. No. But I think it's very interesting that in this life and death thing and this investigation, that she's so horny. You know. Yeah. She's so horny. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. I know the woman's head next door just just you know became a mass of snakes and bugs. Yeah. But... <laughs> yeah, but come on, come on it's, in. It's, yeah. Yeah, exactly. That's the <laughs> that's the kind of thing that gets me going. Yeah, exactly. And what I was what I was surprised by because I realized I thought I had seen this movie before, but I think I had only seen maybe the first half at most. But okay. this is such the story moves so fast, like it, right? Like, every, like by the first, by the end of the first half an hour, he they're in this town, and you, so much stuff has happened. Sure. Like, yeah, it's wild. And you don't even know about the robots yet. No, no. I and uh, oh yeah, the last yeah, the last time we talked about this movie, I mentioned it. yeah, this movie is chock full of of Irish racism. Yeah, is, yeah, <laughs> which is great because it's it's the only movie where like I mean they're a lot you know they're like like Irish 
Irish characters who beat people up, who get mad, or right. bad people, or drunks, or whatever. But this time they're evil. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Yeah, we're finally we're finally getting down to the truth here. Yeah, that's the twist here, and it's uh, like, and and what are they? You know, they're not doing this to like. You know, do anything like to get back Northern Ireland or anything. No, we're just going to kill all the kids in the world. That's yeah. the idea. <laughs> but so, I do kind of wish, I think it was a little bit of an opportunity lost that Joe Dante left the movie because I feel like he would have yeah. made it a lot more stylish. Like he's a much more stylish yeah. kind of director. Than, right. Yeah. Um, no, I mean, when I when I first learned that uh, that he was the first choice, you know, it was like, oh, you know, he would have been, he would have been great. I love Joe Dante. Yeah, he's he's terrific. Cause yeah. the movie, but still, you know what? For a first-time director, um, I think he did a, I think he did an admirable job. Uh, Tommy yeah. Wallace, that is. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think it's a really good movie. I, um, yeah. But it does. There are some. Sometimes it seems a little bit like. It could be an episode of Columbo or something, you right. know, like the way it looks, which is, and I like or Columbo a lot. an episode of Get Smart. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but this movie does not have a good reputation at all. Well, and it doesn't have a good reputation for uh, the very simple reason we talked about this earlier, is that, is that by, this came out in 82, it follows Halloween 2. And maybe calling it Halloween, I know they were trying to reclaim the franchise, but calling yeah. it Halloween 3 may be not the wisest move. Yeah. So, you know, you get all these you get all these kids coming who by that time, you know, have already been conditioned uh, that, you know, they're, they're just going to see someone with a butcher knife carving up more chains. <laughs> and when they didn't get that, um, yeah. and like with Phantasm, when, you know, the movie just, tried really, really hard to make them think, you know, yeah. try and put the pieces together. Um that it uh that was its that was its death now, right? So yeah. you know made absolutely uh, made absolutely no money. Uh people still hate it. Um, right. And you know what's funny, uh, when I was researching it last night I came across this uh article on a website called Den of Geek saying, should we give Halloween 3 Oh, my game? God. Oh, <laughs> I wrote that story. Yeah, you wrote that story. Yeah. I wrote that, that story. Yeah. Yeah. I've, yeah. <laughs> I've been championing, I've been championing, uh, you know, Halloween 3 since 1982. Yeah. Maybe one of these days I will find some real purpose in life. <laughs> but, uh, but damn it. <laughs> Some guy, somebody's got to do it. Yeah, no, it's it's a really good movie. I think. I I think it kind of it it at the end it it doesn't have it kind of runs out of story before it ends the movie. But the the actual the the final scene is terrific. Well, uh, uh, let me tell you about that. <laughs> the final the final scene in the in the screenplay. And uh, as it happens in the novelization, uh, which yeah. is based on the screenplay, not on the film, uh, ends with uh, the sound of millions of children screaming. Yeah. Now that's a 
that's a that's a biff pow ending uh, yeah. for for my money i mean yeah. that's fantastic you know <laughs> it's not only you know over Hitchcock had that dictum that uh, you are never to you you can never kill a child in a movie because that's a really yeah. bad move well here they were going to kill millions and millions <laughs> of children <laughs> not just kill them but kill them in a really icky way yeah gruesome um, yeah but then they decided to cut back on that and it's a and it's a good it's a very good ending yeah. and again it echoes the original ending of body snatchers right so you have and again we don't ask questions but the the commercial is playing for the final time you know on halloween night tom atkins he's in a bar right as i remember uh he's on a he's on a payphone in a bar yeah and he's calling all of these television networks and he's just screaming you know he's raving that you have yeah. to get that commercial off the air and you know you, you think of the people on the other end uh, yeah. of the phone it's like it's a, here's another guy who doesn't like that who doesn't like that yeah. jingle <laughs> Yeah. But they start and they start doing it right. The the yeah. the, the, the screens start going black. Yeah. Um, except for the last one, and yeah. it's still playing, and he's still screaming, and then you get that freeze frame. Yeah. Um, so you know, leaves it uh, leaves it open ended. I saw an interview with yeah. him where he was asked uh, if he thought that he ended up saving all the children of the world. Yeah, uh, the, in the movie, you know, after after the credits rolled, and, and he said he would he would like to believe that he did, <laughs> you know, that he was successful, but we don't know because oh, there's never going to be a Halloween three part two. I know. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, because now they're they keep remaking Halloween, you know. Yeah. Like like there were uh, they made like three remake, I think like Rob Zombie made a bunch of remakes like I think about ten years ago. And right, now, I remember. Yeah, they're they're mediocre, not you know, uh-huh. whatever. And then like now there's still there new remakes of them. And uh-huh. I'm like, well the the way to go here, fellas. Yeah. What happens the next day after Halloween three? Right, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> that's where you should go. I mean that that's interesting too. I don't know. I just because yeah, it's like you know, but, what what did they want? You know, and there's a lot right. of places to go with that. There know? are a lot of there are a lot of questions that need answering. <laughs> but yeah, so I, people always I think when this movie gets referenced, Halloween three, people act like it was a real terrible bomb yeah. or whatever. But I think it's yeah, good. No, what it was, you know, when you get right down to it, what it was was the ref, you know, an affront to their sensibilities that don't want to, you know, they don't want to yeah. see or hear anything new. Right. You know, but they do just you think, want more of the same. Do you think if like, you re-release it just as, um, you take away Halloween and just call it yeah, Season release of the it Witch? As you, that's what I was saying. If you release it just as Season of the Witch, if they had given up, you know, yeah. they'd given up on that the anthology franchise idea if they had just yeah. released the season of the witch it would have been received in a completely different way yeah and it's what's also of, yeah, interesting oh go ahead yeah no you go ahead oh i was i was going to say is is that i you know i always assumed because i stopped following the the, the michael uh what's his name? i was going to say michael moore 
um, <laughs> Michael Myers. Now, there's oh, something yeah. I'd like to see. It's Michael Moore with a butcher knife <laughs> killing teenagers. Yeah, uh, Roger and me would be a much different movie. <laughs> <laughs> and he'd be really smug while he was doing it. <laughs> just, just stabbing uh, uh, foreign executives in Flint. <laughs> but, uh, um, uh, where was I? Oh, oh uh, Michael Myers. Oh, okay. I was going to say, you know, I really stopped following the Michael Myers end of the Halloween spectrum, you know, halfway yeah. to the second one. Um, and yeah, because the second one, they made him. I didn't realize this until kind of fairly recently that they're not brother and sister until the second one. Like the first one. Right. Yeah. Laurie Strode is just a big, random girl. Yeah. Right. And that was a huge mistake. Like, uh, yeah. I know they saw Empire Strikes Back and they're like, oh, we can do that? Yeah. <laughs> we can do that now? Uh-huh. Um, yeah, because... But, I, uh, so I I assumed that after Halloween 3, they would, they would you know, rush Halloween 4 into production to just, you know, so everybody could wash their mouths out yeah. of Halloween 3. But it was another six years. Uh, yeah. Before Halloween Four came out, uh, called of course the Return of Michael Myers. The Return of Michael Myers. Yeah. <laughs> they, they should have called it Halloween Four. This isn't Halloween Three. Yeah. <laughs> well, they should. Have, they could have called it Halloween Three Mulligan or Do Over. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think I, I, it's something I've. I don't. I didn't watch all of the. Halloween movies because they do get really boring and stupid. But yeah. either in the released versions or like the special edition versions, there's the, Michael Myers gets connected to some kind of dru- druidic cult. And oh, and that's why you see Sam Hain again mispronouncing it written on the back <laughs> of the door. Is that right? Um, I. I don't know. I mean, I know yeah. that there's a scene in the first or the second one. Again, yeah. that's as far as I got, where you see the word Samhain written on the written on her door. Yeah. Um, I thought that was a Glenn Danzig reference. Right. Yeah. <laughs> or, a, or a Son of Sam reference. He was, uh, 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 he was also much claimed that Samhain was part of the evil cult that he was <laughs> involved in. All right. Well, I think that uh, – well, I'm going to let you go, I think. Okay. Can I say one last thing? I was going to say, do you have one last thing to say? Yes. Wes Craven stole everything from Phantasm. You think so? Uh, Well, if you look at the first – if you look at the first um, um, Nightmare on Elm Street, then yes. You have uh, the final shot is straight from Phantasm. Uh, yeah. The the uh, the scene where uh, what's his name gets sucked into and then spit out of the bed uh, oh, is Johnny is Depp. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's that's just a slight tweak of the scene in Phantasm, and then you have all the all the you know the crazy dreams. So oh, yes, yeah. Wes Craven stole everything from Phantasm. Mm. Uh, go on the record saying that, and that Halloween <laughs> is good. Yeah, those are two br- two bold stances. <laughs> it's 
<laughs> I'll have them engrave that on my tombstone. <laughs> All right, Jim. Well, happy Halloween. It's a pleasure as always to talk to you. Thank you. It's always a pleasure, Adam, and a happy Halloween to you, too. Wonderful. Take care. <laughs> Bye-bye.